0: There have been so many videos of protests posted in China over the last few days that reportedly, the government can't seem to take them all down. That's how we know what's going on in China right now. These little video clips posted to apps like WeChat or Douyin. That's Chinese TikTok. And they started after a fire. Last month, a blaze in an apartment building in the city of Arumchi ended up killing 10 people. Many Chinese believed their government's strict COVID protocols limited emergency response and condemned those people to death. So, what began as memorials, laying flowers, lighting candles, that morphed into demonstrations in the streets. <laughs> Here, the call and response is, we want to be citizens, not slaves. Some protests veer on the absurd as people stretch the limits of what's allowed. Instead of carrying signs, some hold up blank sheets of paper. One man carried a bouquet and dared the police to stop him. I'm holding flowers, he says. Is that a crime? But no matter what these protests look like, Matt Brazil, a former diplomat and China expert, examines each frame of video and wonders the same thing.
1: I wondered, as I was watching all of this, if people realized that their phones, that they were all holding up with the lights on in order to uh, commemorate the deaths in Rumqi, whether they realized that those phones they were holding were giving away everything they were doing.
0: These protests impress Matt. He never saw anything like them when he lived in China. He just can't help but think about what happens next.
1: The thing that's going to happen now is that the public security bureaus in the cities affected are calling people in to have them explain what they were doing during the protests to name other people. And also they're having people sign statements saying they'll never do it again. And then they will release them unless somebody has been identified as a leader. In that case, they'll be bundled off to uh, jail and put on trial, almost certainly.
0: Some of these protests seemed pretty large. That seems like a lot of work for the Chinese government to do. Will they be able to complete it all?
1: They will. They have the technology. They have the uh, people power to get this done. And the next thing that could happen to go into the worst case scenario is they call in a much different organization. That organization is called the PAP, or the People's Armed Police. They're called paramilitary, but they're really quite military. But they're trained to handle large-scale demonstrations. They were first built up in large numbers after the 1989 Tiananmen disturbances.
0: What you seem to be saying is that this could get violent. It could, yeah. Do you think these protesters knew what they were getting
1: themselves into? No. (laughs) I'm afraid not because um, in China the lives of everyday people are actually pretty good if they're in China's uh, emerging middle class
0: and if they behave
1: and if they behave yeah
0: today on the show how COVID lockdowns led to protests that are shaking China I'm Mary Harris you're listening to what next stick around See terms at discover.com credit card. If you went to China today, you'd be forgiven for thinking you'd time-traveled back to 2020. That's because the Chinese Communist Party's zero-COVID policy looks a lot like the pandemic's early days, only stricter. Frequent testing is mandatory, and if you pop a positive, you get sent to a government quarantine center. Intermittent lockdowns keep even healthy people trapped at home unable to go out and buy basic necessities. We did a show about zero COVID back in May, and our guest back then said part of the strict adherence to this policy was about Chinese President Xi Jinping. He was trying to consolidate power. Political leaders were about to assemble for the party Congress, and Xi did not want to look weak. So I asked Matt whether that meeting cleared the way for a more lenient COVID policy. His answer, absolutely not.
1: At the 20th Party Congress, Xi Jinping did two basic things. One is that he uh, cemented his rule in a third term so that um, there'd be no challenge to this unprecedented third term in modern times anyway, and the other is that he made it very clear uh, when the former leader, Hu Jintao, was suddenly shuffled off the stage uh, without any respect being paid to him at all in a humiliating fashion. He made it very clear that previous experiment with consensus rule in the Communist Party, where, where the general secretary was a first among equals, that that era is over and that we have returned to one-man rule.
0: Hmm. There was a protest Right? Having to do with COVID lockdowns and, and what was happening at the Congress. A banner was unfurled.
1: Yes, a banner, the banner on the bridge.
0: Tell me about that. What happened? And what happened to the person who unfurled it? Do we know?
1: I believe that that person was almost immediately uh, arrested. His banner called for the same sorts of things that we hear from the protesters. No more testing, freedom of movement, no more lockdowns. No cultural revolution.
0: Huh. It's interesting because at the party Congress, I believe, you'll correct me if I'm wrong, one of the things that Xi Jinping did was elevate the person who had been in charge of the Shanghai lockdown, which had been so controversial. Is that right?
1: Yes, that's right. The thing about Xi Jinping's um, rule is that he rewards obedience and he rewards sticking to the program no matter what are the hardships, which is a classic Chinese communist view of how to get through problems. Keep your nose to the grindstone. Don't worry about hardships. Uh, In the end, the party will make things right. And the people he promoted were not only his acolytes, but they were people who showed that they are willing to carry out party policies to the end, no matter what is the opposition.
0: Anger over zero COVID has been building among everyday people for months now. And every once in a while, it becomes something like a protest. Back in September, when a bus carrying 45 COVID-exposed citizens crashed before it reached a quarantine center, it sparked outrage. It even led to a local official apologizing. Last month, workers at a Foxconn factory—that's where iPhones are manufactured—clashed with law enforcement when their COVID-era bonuses went unpaid. They were also furious over poor quarantine protocols. The breaking point this time was that fire in Arumshi. You can see videos of it online, with rescue crews spraying water at the blaze, but missing the flames it looks like they just couldn't get close enough to the building.
1: It seems on the surface as if this building was um, locked down and that barriers had been erected around the building. And as you say, the fire trucks couldn't get close enough. And the difference in the situation between here and there, China in general, uh, in, in this case, Chi, is that in an American city or Western European city, the police and the fire department are important central core businesses of the city. If the police need to get something done, they're in charge and they get it done. But in China, the party is in charge of everything. Political considerations trump almost everything else, including, I have to hate to say it, but including human lives. And... I would speculate that what was going on there is that the fire department wanted to get closer in, wanted to break down the barriers that were probably up, but the local party uh, authorities told them, no, you can't do that. That is under lockdown. You have to just make do with um, fighting the fire from a distance.
0: Ten people died there. How did news spread of what happened? Because... It just doesn't seem like something that the Chinese government would want to make known in any way.
1: It didn't spread through the official press, certainly. It didn't even spread, I think, through one of the most independent parts of the press, which is called Caixin, an economic publication. However, it was available through foreign sources. And the use of virtual private networks is widespread in China, it's technically illegal, and people are occasionally sanctioned for using a VPN, but the number of people using VPNs uh, at this point is so huge that it's probably difficult to control, and it may be that the government has made a decision not to crack down on that practice because it would be extremely unpopular if they did. However, this situation may have changed that. Hmm.
0: So when did the protests begin?
1: They began last Thursday in the wake of the fire.
0: Do they start in Arumchi itself?
1: I think they started in other cities. And one thing that I haven't seen mentioned in Western accounts about all this is that I I think that one of the major motivations of people at these demonstrations is that they can just envision themselves being in that situation where they're in a building, it's been locked down, there's a fire, the fire department can't get in to fight it.
0: Because so many people have been locked down. So they know what that's like.
1: Yeah. So I, I think that people see themselves in that situation unless things change. And indeed, the party ain't stupid. And it appears that they have concluded that local officials who who want to prove how tough they are by following the COVID lockdown policy to the letter and maybe going beyond it, uh, that that's not useful, that, that this is causing a problem, it's, pro- it's causing problems all over the country. And so there have been hints that the party is going to loosen up some of those controls.
0: Yeah, because there have been reports that, people on lockdown have had trouble getting food, that, you know, they can't leave the building, even if they're okay.
1: Yeah, um, there have been reports of people having their doors welded shut, etc. It's, it's kind of ridiculous. Um, but this is a continuing problem of a system where resolutely following the policy and fighting to the end is the standard that officials are held to, particularly under Xi Jinping.
0: Do you think part of what people in China are seeing as they protest is that COVID cases are surging, we're going into winter, and they just might be looking at a whole new winter of lockdown, and they've seen this movie before and they don't like how it goes?
1: Yes, I think that's true. And people also probably realize that the latest strains of COVID are far more infectious.
0: After the break, how did these protests stack up against Tiananmen Square in 1989?
1: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
0: A lot of the reports about this wave of protests has put it in the historical context of Tiananmen Square. But I do wonder, is that the right comparison to you? Like, how is this movement, what we're seeing now, the same or different?
1: Well, the the similarities are that the, um, the party state still has overwhelming power. It's very durable in the face of unrest. Um, the population, uh, ordinary people fear the results of a serious crackdown, particularly older people who have seen the party uh, in action throughout their lives. Um, but the differences are, there's a much larger number of People who are personally affected, of course, by the lockdowns, probably 300 million people are under lockdown at any point in time. Many of them can't get out and earn money. They can't get out and buy food, et cetera. Back then, the organizing was much different. It was done by telephone. And another difference is that organizing, uh, because of that, organizing is much easier. It's being done on the web. However, it's also far easier to monitor and as, uh, as we all know, the surveillance system that has been built with the assistance of American technology, unfortunately, enables the state to keep track of virtually everything that everybody is doing. And people are required under the COVID restrictions to carry their phones with them at all times because of the code system. It is used on the phones to tell people whether they are free to walk around green code, whether they are under restriction a yellow code and whether they must go immediately into isolation red code and uh, we have the the other thing is we have the People's armed police ready in the wings. Um, there's no need to call in the People's Liberation Army to machine gun people in the streets.
0: Hmm. So you're saying the Chinese government is more prepared for this kind of moment than maybe they were in Tiananmen. And it's easier for people to gather, but it's also easier for the government to respond quickly and with authority.
1: It's an interesting dynamic, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Everyone's learned something, I guess, from that moment. Mm -hmm. You've mentioned the fact that American technology undergirds the Chinese system of repression. And I wonder if we can dwell on that for a second. Do you blame the U.S. for the way China is able to surveil its people?
1: Well, the U.S. has played an important role in enabling the party state to modernize. On a broader scale, of course, the accession to the World Trade Organization enabled China to grow its economy at a much more rapid pace. And that's not a bad thing, but it's a fact. And in another way american technology companies have been able to profit a great deal from the communist party the chinese communist party's uh, desire to build up this big surveillance state and the big thing that's happened in the past 3 years is that uh, not only artificial intelligence but machine learning has matured And so machine learning has, uh, in the past three years, has given a uh, big improvement to facial recognition. And facial recognition technology is the key that allows the police to see exactly what everybody is doing at any time of the day.
0: You seem upset (laughs) with this American sort of boost being given to the Chinese government. I wonder, though, too, whether it points to intervention that might take place as protests spread, a crackdown against protests spreads as well. Could American companies withdraw their support in some way or be compelled to? And would that have some impact on China?
1: I think that the export controls that were put in place in October, by the Biden administration and the Commerce Department are an attempt to do that. But the bottom line here really is you know, in our system, what comes first? Uh, shareholder value comes first. And shareholder value comes from quarterly results. So American companies operating in China, um, they don't look at the long term. They don't look at national interests. They don't care. Frankly speaking, I've heard, uh, I, I used to work in high tech. I'm not going to name which companies, but, but I've, I've been involved in conversations where I have said, aren't we a little bit worried that maybe our stuff will be used to kill American sailors in the South China Sea one day? And the answer is, is there something wrong with you? Um, could we? Do you have a fever?
0: Hmm. Not our problem. Not our problem. You've noted that one thing to pay attention to in China right now is the fact that the Chinese government initially seemed taken by surprise by these protests. Why is that important? And what does it tell you?
1: Well, it indicates that there's a potentially a uh, intelligence failure that occurred. The Ministry of State Security, which is their CIA equivalent, um, the Ministry of State Security is supposed to keep an eye on these things. They're supposed to be able to predict when there are problems like this and the same thing is true of the ministry of public security which is the national police that runs the surveillance system they're supposed to be able to tell the party in advance if um, there are problems brewing but they it seems like they didn't and so the next as somebody who follows China's security organizations um, I'm waiting for the next shoe to drop I'm wondering who's going to be relieved of duty
0: Yeah, you're sort of pointing to this instinct to just blame someone else. Like, hey, (laughs) that guy didn't tell me what was going to happen, so he's gone.
1: This is a communist thing.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Do you think that's really what's happening, though? Like, is it that that guy didn't know or is it that that guy didn't tell? Because telling a higher up like, hey, there's going to be some protests, that might not be information they want to get.
1: Yes, that's true. That's a problem. Uh, The State Department used to have this magazine back in the Cold War. It was called Problems of Communism. (laughs) And it was a great publication. They they had tremendous uh, uh, analysis in that publication. So one of the problems of communism, as you just pointed out, is that it's not always cool to speak truth to power. Another problem of communism is that Communism is supposed to be a scientific discipline. Really? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to be able to predict what's going to happen, and the party is always supposed to be correct in everything it does. But, of course, it's a human organization. It can't really be correct all the time. It can't always uh, predict what's going to happen. And so the tendency over history has been to blame either outside forces. That's why we keep hearing about uh, foreign forces that are that are uh, actually responsible for all of this trouble.
0: I'm sort of wondering if there's something you're looking for in the reaction of the Chinese government that will tell you more about whether Zero COVID will be changing, about whether the message these protesters are sending has been received.
1: I'm hoping that the party, Xi Jinping would have to make this decision, uh, decides to stop being ridiculous about vaccines and admit that the vaccine they're using in China has very limited effectiveness, it's not good enough for the situation, and they start immediately on a vaccination program using uh, modern vaccines uh, as we've been uh, using here. Um, that's the first thing. I'm also going to, of course, be watching to see who gets purged, if anybody, because if there are no purges, if, if the party just uh, marches forward with the same program, then that's going to be problematic. It, it's going to not solve any of the problems that led to these disturbances. It, it means that the party has decided to meet um, these protests just with repression. I'm hoping that that's not going to be the response because that'll lead to widespread misery. But I'm hoping that they decide that it's time to change course. Uh, What's worked up until now hasn't been sufficient. And we need to think about um, not only popular approval, but also relieving the difficulties that society is facing.
0: Matt Brazil, I'm really grateful for your time. Thanks for coming on the show.
1: My pleasure. Thank you.
0: Matt Brazil is a senior analyst at Blue Path Labs in Washington, D.C., and a senior fellow at the Jamestown Foundation. He's also the co author of Chinese Espionage, an intelligence primer. All right, that's our show. If you're a fan of what we're doing here at What Next, the best way to connect with us and support our work is to join Slate Plus. You just go on over to slate.com slash whatnextplus and sign up. What Next is produced by Elena Schwartz, Carmel Shad, and Madeline Ducharme. We are getting a ton of support right now from Anna Phillips, Jared Downing, and Victoria Dominguez. We are led by Alicia Montgomery and Joanne Levine. And I'm Mary Harris. I'm passing things off to Lizzie O'Leary and the What Next TBD crew for now, but I'll be back on Monday.